You're listening to a sermon recording from Southside Christian Church. The sermon you're about to listen to was delivered by Brooks Wilson on September 16, 2018. For more information about Southside, visit our website at southsidechristian.com. Good morning. There is only one gospel story of Jesus, and it moves us to a response. I want to talk today about our storied faith. We are, as uh, Daniel mentioned, in the second week of a series called Allegiance, where we're seeking to kind of strip away some of the even poisoned ways that we have thought about faith in our culture. Uh, Last week we talked about some phantom faiths that we sometimes substitute for the real biblical faith. And um, if you missed out on that last week, you can catch up online. Uh, Or if you want to follow along, uh, maybe even read a little further into some of these things, we have a, a book available for purchase called Salvation by Allegiance Alone at our Information Center, which is a great work there by Matthew Bates. But today... I want to talk about gospel. Uh, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, Paul wrote to the Romans. He said, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First, to the Jew and then to the Gentile. For uh, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as, as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. The gospel reveals something. The word itself, gospel, just means good news, but it's news that compels action from us. It's not just a news headline that goes in one ear and out the other. It's news that changes everything. On Wednesday this week, you might have heard some news. All eyes turned to Silicon Valley. And everybody held their breath. You know what happened on Wednesday? What was announced on Wednesday? The new Apple products, people. Man, oh my goodness, we have an iPhone X 10s Max or something. Um, there's a new Apple Watch with slimmer bezels, which I know you all have really been waiting for. And in the midst of such an announcement, you know, an odd hush overtook the nation, right? Now, really, you know, the announcement Wednesday was a part of a, a part of a larger context, right? Really, uh, this was just another uh, thing that happened uh, from flowing from an event that actually began in 2007. Now, in 2007, the original iPhone was introduced, and in 2007, Facebook—you may have heard of that. Uh, went from college campuses to anybody with an email address. This little thing called Twitter began to uh, make its way across the nation. They even introduced this little thing using a, uh, a pound sign. Here was the tweet talking about uh, how, how do you feel about using the pound sign for groups. We now call that hashtags. 2007, sociologists have said that was the beginning of a digital era, a new age in our world. Not since 1440 and Gutenberg's press has something changed our world as radically as this has. Uh, we now live in a digital age that with all of its wonderful connectedness also has all kinds of wonderful and not so wonderful digital noise, right? Constant interruption, instant access to everyone's opinions, whether good or bad, and of course, fake news. 
Mark Sanders calls this our digital nervous system. Now, that news story in 2007 about this new technology coming into our world changed everything from that day on. You may not like that or you may love that, but whatever the case, life became different for us after that event. Do you remember life before iPhone? How about life before cell phones? How many of you remember the rotary phone? Your kids, your grandkids probably do not, as one mom found out here with hers. Okay, Braylon, call your mama. Pick up the phone and call me. No, he's dialing first like you do on your phone. Then he's going to pick it up. Wait, 2438. Where's the zero? There you got it. Braylon's got it. Well, I knew how to do it. I just didn't know what number. Hello? doesn't work. It just goes... <laughs> <laughs> okay, Charter. Yeah, you were so close. See if it works. Charter. Charter, call me, Braylon. Watch out. Charter, call me, Braylon. I will. I'll show you in a minute. That went through this struggle. It was difficult. <laughs> okay, so my kids have never used this kind of phone. I don't even know if they've seen this kind of phone. I did. I did. When I was with Nanny. Working? Like, look. <laughs> what are you gonna do? Google it? <laughs> He's gonna call the secret. <laughs> I know what they're doing for me. <laughs> Things have changed. I don't know which was uh, better in that video, the, the poor kid's frustration or his mom's absolute delight in what was happening there. I don't know. Things have changed. In fact, uh, my wife pointed out this comment on uh, Pinterest a while back that said, uh, one person wrote, if we older folks want to take back the world from our kids, all we have to do is write everything in cursive and make every car a stick shift. (laughs) And we'll do it. Technology has changed the world that we live in. We may not like that. We may, we may love that. But, but I'm not here to relive some tech news this morning. I'm here to tell you good news. I'm here to tell you gospel. Much bigger than even the new era that was introduced by maybe an iPhone or technology. Much bigger than that is what God has done in our world that is so massive. It is new, so big. It compels a response from us. So let me outline this gospel story this morning. I'm going to do that in eight parts. I'm going to call it our storied faith. Don't worry, I'm only going to spend 30, 45 minutes on each part so we won't be here The gospel story in eight parts. The best summary, I think, as we think about gospel is maybe its earliest summary in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And if you have a a Bible and want to follow along there, uh, 1 Corinthians 15 is where we'll be on page 933 in those brown Bibles in front of you. Or you can follow along on one of those iPhones if you've got one of those, version Bible app there. 1 Corinthians 15, uh, this authentic gospel that Paul receives and passes on focuses on some key elements especially surrounding Jesus, of course. Now, uh, he says in verse 1, 
Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. After that, He appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. They've passed away. Then He appeared to James and then to all the apostles. And last of all, He appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. Let me... Just walk through this kind of world-changing news, this gospel news, in, in eight parts. First, I want you to notice the gospel story of Jesus fits into a larger story. It brings to completion the story of God's mission in the world, His mission through Israel. Just like the iPhone didn't drop out of nowhere, it came in the midst of a digital music revolution and, and music was changing. It came in the midst of other smartphones. It has a larger context. This gospel has a larger context. The key phrase Paul uses not once but twice is according to the scriptures. Did you hear him say that twice? This Christian gospel is according to the scriptures telling of Jesus. And so this gospel begins not just with the birth of Jesus, but but far back all the way to the beginnings of the world, even beyond the preexistence of Jesus himself with the Father. Jesus would say as much in John 8, the Jewish people and leaders were accusing Jesus of being demon-possessed. And he said, uh, your, your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. And this blew their minds. He said, they said, you're not yet 50 years old and you've seen Abraham? And Jesus said, very truly I tell you, before Abraham was born, I am. Now that's just a little phrase to us, but for Jewish listeners, that was the very name of God given to Moses. I am who I am. Jesus is claiming to be divine, existing with God, even before the creation of the world. John would make this really clear in verses 1 and two of his gospel, in the beginning was the Word, this Jesus, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Paul says it this way, Colossians chapter 1, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for in Him all things were created, things in heaven and earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things And in him all things hold together. Jesus has authority. He has power that is older than creation itself. And you are tempted to think your problems have been around for a long time. Your marriage has been on the rocks for a decade. You have an addiction that is 20 years in the making. But listen, this salvation story of Jesus extends beyond time itself. You can trust this Savior with your life. He comes in an old, old gospel story indeed. So first, uh, that story fits into a larger story. Second, Jesus, in this gospel element, takes on human flesh, uh, fulfilling God's promises to David. Again, according to the Scriptures, uh, only a living Christ, in verse 3 of 1 Corinthians, only a living Christ could die. And again, uh, John 1 makes this clear about Jesus, that the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. Jesus was not a ghost floating above the world. He was not a Marvel superhero. He was flesh and blood. He knew what it was like to struggle. He knew what it was like to be tired, to be hungry, to be tempted, to be tried. Jesus knew the stresses of the world. I think He also knew what I've just found out recently, 
this little fact that stressed spelled backwards is desserts. Let all the sweet tooths in the room say, Amen. Jesus knows. He is sympathetic to us in our weaknesses. He is not a God who is just high and above, lifted up away from us. He is also a God who is grounded, a God full of mercy. Third, this gospel, notice, concerns that Jesus, Paul says, who died for our sins. For our sins. Uh, Jesus would say it this way in Mark 10. He said, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Think about that idea of ransom, even in our concept today. Oftentimes, you know, it is money paid, perhaps to a kidnapper, who has uh, taken someone illegally, and the money becomes a substitute to bring the person back. The, the Greek term lutron, very similarly used in the time of Jesus to describe money paid to set a slave free, to pay for a slave's freedom. Jesus, this, this wonderful person who existed with Father and Spirit before the beginning of the world, entered into humanity, into flesh and blood, and paid the price for our sins. Back in 1973, the world was shocked by the story that John Paul Getty III was kidnapped in Rome. Maybe some of you remember. Uh, he was the 16-year-old grandson of the oil man uh, J. Paul Getty, who at the time was considered the world's richest man. Uh, somewhere over a billion dollars was believed to be his net worth, which today would be somewhere over $9 billion. Just... <laughs> Tons and tons of money. And the kidnappers, in order to release his grandson, demanded $17 million. It's a lot of money, but comparatively to him, not so much. But the family refused to pay the money. Uh, the boy had his right ear cut off. And ultimately, through the whole ordeal, coupled with some terrible neglect, a long story, it ruined the boy's life. By the age of 24, he ended up paralyzed as a result of a drug overdose. As it turns out, all the money in the world could not save him. Can't save you either. But Jesus paid the price for our sins. He ransomed you. That's good news, isn't it? That's gospel. Uh, Fourth, this good story shows us a Jesus who entered fully into our death by being buried. Paul says it very explicitly here. All four gospel accounts detail this burial. All point to this plain fact. Jesus died. He didn't faint. He wasn't faking. He died. And yet, fifth, Paul says he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. This resurrection just blows away any other news story ever, right? I mean, this... Jesus came back from the dead. He is alive. You want to talk about new eras? I mean, forget the iPhone. This is a new era. Dead people don't come back to life. But he has come back to life. And this points to God's plan for new creation, for setting the whole world right. And again, all four Gospels offer various details to this seismic story. It's almost like social media posts after a huge event. You know, there's no one sort of doctored up, uh, tightly coordinated official story about what happened at resurrection. There's this beautiful picture of all these Gospel writers trying to make sense of this. For instance, Matthew 
We'll talk about the the tomb and the guards of the tomb and the seal on the tomb and about how after the resurrection, the the Romans tried to pay off the guards uh, with a bribe to tell people that his disciples stole the body. And Luke tells us that Peter ran to the tomb and he saw the grave clothes and he kind of left puzzled. And John tells us that not just Peter ran, but but also the disciple whom Jesus loved, maybe John himself, went to the tomb and and they returned home and, and Mary Magdalene remained at the tomb weeping. It's just pandemonium. The dead don't come back to life. And yet Jesus did. And now there's nothing in your life. There is nothing in your life that's so hopeless that God can't redeem it. There is no trouble, there is no problem beyond this ability of a God who can die and who can return to life. There is no person, no life that cannot be turned around, including yours, if Jesus can be dead and be alive again. The gospel, though, you see, is is more than just a, a cross. It's the life that springs from that cross. The life we see sixth in the uh, good story continuing with the appearances of Jesus. Paul again talks about that, verses 5 through 8. In all of the scriptures, there are at least 13 distinct post-resurrection appearances of Jesus. Jesus appears after he raises from the dead to the women, including Mary Magdalene. He appears to Mary Magdalene specifically, to two travelers in Luke 24, to Peter, to the 11 and others, minus Thomas, and then a week later to the 11, including Thomas, at the Sea of Tiberias, on the mountain in Galilee, at the Great Commission, to the 500 brothers, Uh, Paul mentions here in 1 Corinthians 15 to James, the Lord's brother, to the other apostles on the Mount of Olives, to the Apostle Paul himself. Jesus appeared to a variety of witnesses in different geographical locations for a period of about 40 days, all to confirm the truth that Jesus is alive. You are in the presence today of a living Lord. He's not one we have to remember as if he were dead and gone. We remember him in our presence right now, alive. Which leads us to a seventh element of this gospel that I think may be something we neglect thinking about much. Jesus is seated at the right hand of God as Lord. As Lord. You see, I think the the gospel that Paul received and passed on didn't end in verse 8 as we read a moment ago I think it continues on through this chapter including verses 20 through 28 I think Paul digresses a little bit in verses 9 through 19 as preachers are wont to do from time to time but let's pick up in verse 20 again just to to get a fuller picture of what he's describing here he says but uh, Christ was indeed has indeed been raised from the dead the first fruits of those who have uh, fallen asleep For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam, that that first man, all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ, the firstfruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. And then the end will come. When he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. Look at these next four words. For he must Reign. I don't know if you like to underline in your Bible or highlight or not, but I love those four little words. You might want to consider those these, this week. He must reign until he put all, uh, all his enemies under his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death, for he's put everything under his feet. Now, when it says everything's been put under him, it is clear it does not include God himself, who put everything under Christ. 
When he has done this, then the Son himself will be made subject to him who put everything under him so that God may be all in all. Jesus currently reigns at the right hand of God. He is Messiah. He is King. He is Lord. He is this conquering figure in verse 24 who is triumphing over all dominion, all authority, all power, and the last enemy he has to defeat is death itself. Jesus reigns. Would you say those two little words with me? Jesus reigns. If you had to sum up the iPhone news story this week, you might say, I don't know, bigger screens or better power. You might sum it up by saying ridiculous prices. I don't know. But if you had to sum up the story of of God in the gospel, here's what you'd say. Jesus is Lord. Not just in those days, but even now and even in the future. Eighth part of the gospel I want to talk about is that Jesus will come again as a judge. You heard it in Paul. He talks about the end will come. He says in 1 Thessalonians 4, We believe that Jesus died and rose again, so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in Him. He's coming back and He's going to set all things straight. Matthew 25 says, When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, He will sit on His glorious throne and all the nations will be gathered before Him and He will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. One thing is clear. The gospel story will end with God the Father being God for all and in all and through all with Christ bringing that glory to bear from the story of creation all the way to consummation from Adam and Abraham and Moses and David culminating in Jesus. This will reach its goal when God is for everyone whom God should be for everyone. That's not just any story. It's not just in one ear and out the other kind of a headline. This is gospel. It's a story that changes everything. So what? Maybe you're thinking, my story, preacher. That's a nice story, but really, that is as old-fashioned and as useless a story as any kind of useless knowledge that you'd find today. It's just, it's useless like... Like the knowledge that uh, your lips touch when you say the word separate, but your lips don't touch when you say the word together. Did you ever notice that? I know you want to turn to somebody next to you and track it out. Separate and together. Interesting, maybe. Completely useless. Who cares? Good story, preacher, but it's about as useless as understanding that... um, Well, we have fingertips, but we don't have toe tips. And yet we tiptoe, but we don't tip finger. Have you ever noticed that? So what? Maybe you're thinking our world today is completely different than all that gospel stuff and criminals and Romans and crosses and tombs and guards and disciples and apprentices. We, we live in a nation today that uh, is largely, uh, we're told from sociologists, have moved on from Jesus. We, we're a post-Christian culture. Jesus is so last decade. He's so last century. We live in an upgrade world. Guess what? If you're carrying around an original iPhone today, nobody's celebrating you. 
even though it changes the world. We live in an upgrade world now. We are an iPhone 10 XS Max something or other world now. And we live in this deconstructive culture. Boy, I feel it. Maybe you feel it too. Everywhere you look, people are just tearing down, tearing down, tearing down, sometimes for good reason. We tear down politicians. We tear down leaders in every media outlet every day, all day long. We're tearing someone down. You know, we've torn down uh, Hollywood actors and actresses and, and directors and, and through the Me Too movement. And maybe, and some, like I said, some things need to happen. Celebrity pastors and priests torn down, again, sometimes for very legitimate reasons. Even traditional values in our nation have been torn down. Only 34%, Barna reports, of our current youngest generation, those born after 90 uh, 1996, only 34% believe that lying is morally wrong. And we live in a country now where you can't even have a conversation with somebody who doesn't believe the exact same things that you. We just like to have conversations or hear people who believe exactly the same thing we do. We're Americans. We don't do loyalty to kings. We fight against kings. So this gospel of the King Jesus, this gospel. Maybe the word gospel has just come to label a type of music. Is that it? Matthew Bates says the gospel is the story of how Jesus the Son, who was chosen far in advance by God as the appointed Messiah, was anointed by God at His baptism as the designated Messiah and then came to be the enthroned Messiah after His resurrection from the dead. That's weighty, but what it says is Jesus is King. He's alive. He's seated at the right hand of God right now. That's the story. The world changed at His resurrection. It absolutely changed. And no matter which way the world runs from Him, He is still King. His reality still wins and He invites us into that reality, into that new world. So what? Here's what. Respond to the story with obedient loyalty. Run to the waters of baptism. Don't walk. And, and bow your knee to King Jesus. Bow your life to Him. And maybe if you've run to the baptism, now learn from Him and read His story and practice the same life habits He does. Learn to pray and read Scripture and, and enjoy solitude and share life with other believers and serve and rest and care for people. Become an apprentice of Jesus because the righteous... Live by faith. There's a word that um, has become kind of a curse word in my house. It is the worst insult you can call one of my kids. They have heard it from their classmates from time to time. Maybe they wear a new shirt or something to school and they hear it from other classmates. I don't know if I should say the word in church. It's pretty rough. The word, hmm, the word is bandwagon, as in a bandwagon fan. Ooh, that's a tough insult in my house for my kids. A bandwagon fan is somebody who's not loyal to a team, you know, a sports team through thick and thin. Instead, they jump on the bandwagon for a team that's winning. So right now, for instance, in basketball, the Golden State Warriors have lots of people jumping on to be fans because they're winning all the time, every year, over and over again. Over the last several years in football, the New England Patriots have gotten a number of bandwagon fans, you know, jumped on board because they're winning, they're winning. But the worst, 
The worst team for bandwagon fans has got to be the Chicago Cubs. <laughs> oh, now you get rowdy. Oh, I see. Uh, uh, no, I'm kidding, sort of. Um, now, here's the thing. You know, at some point, I became a fan of the St. Louis Cardinals, and I have sort of... Pl- oh, thank you. It's, all three of us are fans today, after the loss yesterday. Somewhere along the way, I became loyal to the St. Louis Cardinals. I've cheered for them when they have won, and they've won World Series, um, World Series plural, um, over the last several years. I have cheered for them when they lose 17-4 to to the Dodgers yesterday and look absolutely terrible. I've cheered for them in the very forgettable 1990s. You know, I just, I've cheered for them. I've worn their gear. I've bought their gear. I've gone to the games. I have watched them on TV. I have taught the truth of their supremacy to my kids. I have passed that on. Day in and day out, through thick and thin, I am loyal to the St. Louis Cardinals, but in a much deeper way. In this day and age, we need people who are even more deeply loyal to King Jesus the Christ. Not fans, followers. They, they profess their faith. They demonstrate their faith. They, they, they live out their faith, whether it's the current trend or not. Listen, the days of bandwagon fans of Jesus are over. Jesus is not the current trend anymore. But he's still the king. People who live in a deep loyalty to him will be the ones who help write the next chapters in this gospel story. Will you be one of them? Now, Father, this is a long story indeed, and we're thankful for Jesus, our King. Sometimes, Father, it feels like our, our neighbors or our nation um, celebrate him, but it seems more and more that that is the rare occasion. Nevertheless, you are the king. Regardless of what we say, regardless of how we run, um, regardless of, of our sin or our confession, regardless of all of that, you are king. You are seated at the right hand of God. We acknowledge that today. We sing about that. We pray in your name because of your authority. And Father, we long for the day when Lord Jesus will come and set all things right. But in the meantime, help us to live with loyalty to our King. It's in the name of Jesus, um, our Savior, our Lord, our King, that we pray. Amen.